Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I want to reiterate what uh, Pastor Gary said. We uh, take very serious the situation right now. We will be monitoring it. Uh, staff is gathered to uh, seriously consider and pray about whether uh, to meet, whether we meet, to, we felt it was reasonable to meet this morning, but not for Sunday school and uh, this evening. And so uh, we will continue to do so. Last week, uh, uh, Pastor Jim Carlson uh, reminded us to ask God. And one of the things we've been studying on Sunday night, the names of God, and we considered the name of God, the Lord our healer. And I think it's uh, good for us as Lord's people to pray for healing, to pray for God's hand of uh, blessing and healing that this uh, virus would be abated. A lot of lives are being affected a lot of, in a lot of ways. Um, and so I think it's, uh, as Christians, we should pray for God's healing upon our land, the world, uh, for this virus, and that uh, it would be abated. And so let's, let's do that as God's people. We're going to open God's Word together, and when we do so, we continue to worship uh, by doing so. And so I'd like to invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we do open your Word today, we pray that our hearts would be sensitive to your Word and that your words would be heard. We thank you for the freedom we have to come and worship as we please. And that we are reminded of our brothers and sisters around the world who do not share this freedom. We pray for them today. Many have already finished meeting. Some have met at great danger today. And we never forget our connection with them and our link with them as the Lord's people. As we gather, and may we uh, listen to your word, but also uh, may we apply your word. May it impact our lives, how we walk with you, how we share your love this week. To that end, we give you these next few moments, and we pray this in the name of our precious Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It has been good to have Jim and Denise with us uh, this past uh, 10 days, and they've uh, spent a lot of time with our congregation, our family, and I uh, worked with the elder board as they had their meeting yesterday. It was a good meeting, and I know they appreciate all your prayers, and uh, we appreciated the opportunity, and so continue to pray for our elders and our leaders, and uh, it was just it's good to have uh, Jim and Denise uh, with us. Uh, we, as, as Jim had mentioned last week, he began his ministry here as a young pastor, and uh, it's been good to reconnect with them. I was a young person at that time involved in the church here. And let me, let me just say this, not to flatter anybody, but I, I was thinking, I remember one time as a junior high student, Jim was here as our, and he was because we hadn't had a youth pastor yet, he came first, then we called our youth pastor, and I remember I was probably in junior high gym at that time, and you know, you come to some of those points in your life where you, you question, I, I wasn't seriously questioning my faith, but there were some things that were challenging in my thinking and what I was dealing with and so forth, and I just all of a sudden one time stopped. I said to myself, well, if it's good enough for Jim Carlson, it's good enough for me. Now, that's kind of dumb, right? (laughs) But not so. Because, you know, I I remember that. I can remember right where I was my thought best. One of those moments in life, you know, you remember those things. It's because leaders in your life and people that model to you and care about you, especially at that age, our young people just left here. They're going to be youth group pretty soon, some of these young people. It's important to have uh, just people in their lives that, that they have that confidence that, yeah, this, this is good. God's at work, and it makes sense to people. 
And so this is why as we uh, consider the leadership of our church in the future, uh, the next senior pastor, the youth ministry, this is why we are bathing it in prayer and we are asking you to do so because this is very important for our church family. It's very important for you and it's important especially for our children and young people. This is so important to us. It's been part of our ministry from the beginning, the emphasis on children and youth, which is why we hired a Christian ed pastor and a youth pastor at the very beginning, first things we did before we were in this building. Uh, Jim and uh, my life connect in another way. Our roads crossed and that the first church I served in, Bethesda Evangelical Church, and at that time Evangelical Free Church in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, is Jim's home church. And at that church, um, this isn't a picture of it, but it reminded me, downstairs in that church, in the old building, the, the church, Bethesda Church is, a, is in what we call an old part of town, something like maybe Wallingford or Capitol Hill, that era. Um, uh, and it's an old, it was an old building, and so it was the old original building that then had been remodeled, and then also a Christian Ed Wing added to it. As you come, I can still remember, you come in off 38th Street in the old entrance, you go downstairs and downstairs, and there was one corner where there was a stone and there was like a plexiglass in front of it and there was a little inscription. And I can't exactly remember if the inscription was on the stone or the plexiglass, but it was the cornerstone or foundation stone for this building. They used to do that a lot, right? You put, if, you go, if you've traveled around the world, like in the Middle East where we've traveled and places where you have really, really, really old you know, <laughs> buildings, before they poured concrete and everything had stone foundations, there would often be a stone with an inscription on it. And this was laid, a cornerstone. Today it's more symbolic. Uh, when you pour a concrete foundation, oftentimes we'll imprint. I'm not sure if we have that anywhere around here. Anybody know? 1966 imprinted on our foundation anywhere? I guess we missed that. All right. But we do have something. We do have an uh, a inscription plaque. Do you know where it is? Anybody know where it is? Yes, Dwayne. Dwayne's right. It's, you walked right by it today. It's kind of hiding in plain sight, okay? It's out in the narthex on the east wall, that wooden plaque, right? That's as close as we came to a cornerstone plaque, I think. Yeah, right over there, Steve. You're right. Pointing over there. But it's out there, okay? And it's, uh, it's, you can't see it very well because of the lighting. But it says 1966. The Brian Church, our original name was the Brian Church. We legally had to change to the Brian Bible Church. The Brian Church, and underneath it is Ephesians 1.6. Built, you notice it says, the Brian Church built, and then the quote, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. So that's our cornerstone plaque. That's where we dedicated our building and that's what our church is dedicated to, to remind us that we are here to the, this place was built to the praise of God's glory, whom has made us accepted in the beloved. Now, let's look at Ephesians, or 2 Timothy today, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to continue our study from 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul's last epistle. Uh, this is universally accepted that, that this was Paul's last epistle, his farewell epistle, if you will, to uh, this, this pastor, Timothy, who was at Ephesus, who had a very important role in ministry in the furthering of God's work uh, through Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and throughout the world. And, and Timothy is there, and, and we've been reading, through, we read, we read uh, 
two, two weeks ago we were in the section just before this, and I want to I remind you as we ended that last study, it ended up with this in uh, verse 17, speaking of the false teachers. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hamanius and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place. And notice, they are destroying the faith of some. This is serious. Why, why would that destroy the faith of some? Well, I don't want to go into any detail, but given the, the, the context of, of, of this era in, 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 Greek, in the Greek Hellenistic world, this idea that the body is, is evil and matter is evil, spirit is good. So therefore, if the resurrection has already taken place, it doesn't matter how you treat your body. It doesn't matter because it's already done. You've been spiritually resurrected. Paul says you've been seated with Christ in the heavenly. So therefore, your body doesn't matter. So therefore, it doesn't matter how you live. And people were taking this philosophy and getting involved in sinful lifestyles. It doesn't matter because we've already resurrected. The body's done with it. It's never going to be changed and resurrected. And it was causing confusion. And it says here, to the point, destroying the faith of some. And I believe these are Christians. We, at our church, we do teach the, the, the Christian belief and the doctrine of eternal security. And if these are believers who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, yet their, their faith, their daily walk, it's, it's being destroyed. It's being challenged. This is serious. And it's in this context we come to our passage today, and notice what it says. Nevertheless, besides all that, God's solid foundation stands firm. And it's sealed with this inscription. It's, so this is the cornerstone. They would have known what he was talking about. The building was built, the cornerstone was laid, and this foundation stone had an inscription. It was very common in the Greek world, in the Roman world, to do this, even in the Jewish world, to put an inscription on the foundation. And so Paul says, the foundation is laid, and it has an inscription on it. And it's twofold. First of all, the Lord knows those who are his. And the second inscription on this foundation is, you notice this in quotes, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So as we consider our message today, there's the outline right there. It's, it's two points. There's two inscriptions on this foundation stone. Now the discussion of the foundation, we're going to talk about some metaphors today in this passage. And the metaphor of a foundation is used in different ways, but, but we are told in Corinthians that Paul says, no other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Then he talks about the church as the foundation, and the, uh, the church is God's building, and the foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, in fact, it's in that passage where he talks about that there will be those who will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and their works will be burnt up as wood, hay, and stubble, but they will be saved as if by fire. He's talking about the teachers and the leaders in this congregation because he says if, if you build on this foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ, and help build up God's work, it will eventually be shown for what it is. But for those who are teaching heresy and false teaching and dangerous teachings and selfish teachings, the foundation will stand but it impacts the building. And so this metaphor is used. And so we have two inscriptions on the foundation that we're looking at this morning. And let's, let's consider that. The Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those 
who are his. Many have suggested that this phrase may be directly taken from the story of Korah's rebellion in the book of Numbers. If you remember that there was a rebellion against the leadership of, of Moses and Aaron. Like, who, who, who called you? Why, why are you the ones that, uh, that are making all these decisions? Isn't this a democracy? Don't we have a say in this? And they tried to lead a rebellion. And in the midst of that rebellion, where that's where they, you know, the earth opened up and they were destroyed, it was really serious rebellion. In the midst of that, there is a phrase in Numbers, uh, in the Hebrew, Vayada Adonai es Esherlo. The Lord knows those who are his. And the Greek Septuagint translates that it comes out exactly as Paul says it here, that he maybe have this in the background. This idea, these people were rebelling against the leaders of Israel, but the Lord knows. In the Hebrew, the word yada, the word for know, which Paul with his Hebraic background, as well as Timothy from his, uh, from his mother's side of the family and so forth, so much of Paul's language is, even though he's writing in Greek, it's influenced by his Hebrew background. The word yada in the Hebrew, when it says it, to know, it implies relationship. It, it's not just a cognitive knowledge. The Hebrew is very clear about this. It implies relationship. I know you. You know me. We are in relationship. And it has more to do, not, it has much more to do than just a cognitive knowledge. God knows. God's in relationship with those who are His. Why? Because Paul's already talked about the fact that He has called us, He has chosen us. We know that from Ephesians, before the foundation where He knows everything about us. He knows who are His. And regarding the false teachers, regarding the false teachers, he knows. God knows who are His. And, and you know, isn't it good that even Hymenius, you know, this, this, you know this, this name here we saw earlier, uh, Hymenius in verse 17 and Philetus, they're spreading stuff that's like gangrene. You look back in 1 Timothy, just a few pages, and in chapter 1, and in verse 19 and 20, holding on to faith. And good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith, crashed on the rocks and shipwrecked. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Now, notice what Paul says by apostolic authority. Paul's an apostle, he has authority. He says, I, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Now, that's a whole other study. You know, that's not today's topic. What, what did that mean? How did he hand somebody over to Satan? Uh, he's an apostle. He has apostolic authority. But if he's handing them over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme, it sort of implies, I think, they're believers, and he's trying to have them teach them a lesson. And this is difficult. And we run into this all the time, too. And at some point, isn't, isn't it good to know... And someone, when someone says, well, is, are these people really believers? Are they really, you know, they, are, maybe they don't, you know, think the way you think and so forth. Or, or they, they go to a different, you know, maybe a different branch of Christianity or whatever. You think, or they don't, they, they, they at one time, they at one time profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but right now their life doesn't evidence it. And we run into this question all the time, are these people really saved, really believers? Aren't you glad that's not up to you? That God knows. At some point we have to leave it there. God knows. 
God knows which of these false teachers were really his, his own children who need to be corrected and which ones had nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Even, even when he's, some said, well, we, we cast out demons. We did miracles. And what does he say? Depart from me. I never knew you, the judge will say. We leave it in God's hands. And I'm glad it's not up to me. I'm glad it's not up to you. The Lord knows. The Lord knows. Vayadad and I. God knows who belongs to him. And that's the first inscription. We are in relationship with God. God knows you. God knows everything about you. God knows everything about me. And I am in a relationship, and you are in a relationship, in our walk, in our daily life. And through his revelation, the word of God, and in this case, the apostolic word that's coming to Timothy, that's being spread to the churches, the epistles that have been written, the gospels, this is a, a, a dynamic period of time where they don't have the New Testament like we have. They have the revelation from God that's coming through the apostles, and even through sign gifts earlier in the book of Acts. We see this happening. It's a dynamic time. But they are drawn into relationship through God's Word and through understanding God's Word. And aren't we glad that God is the one? And aren't we glad that God says this? He knows us because we are in relationship with Him, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. God knows who belongs to Him. And that's the first inscription in this context of this false teaching that's destroying the faith. This, listen, this is toward the end of Paul's ministry. I mean, it's hard to believe. He is soon to depart this world. And yet, at this point, there's, 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 there's some chaos in some of the churches. There are people leaving. There are people who are leaving that couldn't get away from Paul fast enough. And there are some who are remaining faithful. It's a, it's a challenging, we talked about this. This is the context of Timothy. It's a challenging, difficult time. And God knows who belong to him. The second inscription then, because of that, because if God knows you, that implies you know God. And the second thing is, the second inscription is what? Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. If God knows you, and you know God, then God has called us to turn away from wickedness, from evil. And then he goes on to describe some of the uh, metaphor again to help us understand what this is. Look what he says. So we finished the inscription, the second inscription. God knows you, so you know God. Therefore, if you know God, you confess that, that he is the Lord. Therefore, you should live what you know. In the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua, I love how when Joshua had that ominous task, ominous task of taking over after Moses, and, and several times they are told, no to do, no to do. We stand in the tradition of the Protestant uh, Christian faith, whose, uh, whose, whose, whose motto was, with the, when, when it came to the Word of God, is that the, the Holy Scriptures are our final authority in faith and in practice. In other words, what we believe and what we do. The scriptures, not me, not the church, not any other human authority. It's the scriptures that are our final authority in faith and in practice. That's the tradition that we as a Protestant church family, we stand in. And, and so in this tradition, in this context, notice what he says in verse 20. 
Now here's this metaphor, and it's a little bit difficult. In a large house, so this would be a, a large house implies somebody of some means in the first century world, okay? In a large house, there are articles, not only, or you could say vessels, we're talking about vessels here, not just knickknacks and so on. We could say there are vessels, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for noble purposes, some for ignoble purposes. Now, the translation there, it, it, it right away sort of lends a moral character to this, right? More uh, noble and ignoble. I think it might be better if we thought in terms of, think, think of the temple, think of the tabernacle. There were the vessels that were holy, and there, were, there are vessels that are common. They're not bad. I mean, we have it here. You know, if you go out into our church here, we have some things around our church that we, we hope are attractive. We hope this pulpit, for example. We hope, you know, things are our sanctuary. We also have a janitor's closet. How many of you have been in the janitor's closet? Oh, whoa, my goodness. What are you all doing in the janitor's closet? <laughs> I'm going, to take a, I'm going to do that again and see who's been... <laughs> turn, turn your keys in, okay? That door's locked. Anyway, we have a janitor closet. And there are things in the janitor closet we're not going to put up here. They aren't bad, but they're just common. You know, I grew up in an era... I mean, it's amazing how things change in a lifetime. And I'm not that old. But, I mean, I grew up in an era where we still, for our wedding, got good china, Right? And everyday China, I don't think people do that so much anymore because our good China wasn't like really expensive, but we still have it. And it comes out a few times a year, right? And we have some Christmas China that Teresa's mom helped us get and we got and so on. And that comes out a few times a year. We don't use it every day. Um, you know, some of, and some of you have your grandparents' China, maybe still, or things, and it's really not as valuable anymore as you thought it might be, because it's not a big deal anymore. But this idea of the good dishes that come out for special occasions. So there's this kind of a there's this metaphor here that, that could be a little bit misunderstood. But then we go to verse 21, and it does sort of lend a bit of a moral character. So this is why you just can't push these metaphors too far. It's a metaphor, okay? Don't 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 overthink it. But he says, if a person cleanses himself from the latter, that is the common. I, let's, let's use the word common instead of ignoble. If, he, if, if, if this leader, he's talking to Timothy, if you cleanse yourself from the latter, that person will be an instrument, a vessel for noble purposes, made holy, useful, holy, sanctified, holy, set apart, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. So he's telling Timothy, Timothy, you must turn away from wickedness, right? Everyone, if you confess the name of the Lord, Timothy's a leader. And, and for all of us, you know, we, we have different levels of leadership here. But if you're a parent or a grandparent, you are a very important leader to these people right now. More important than anybody in their lives. We are, we are, we are, we are in leadership roles. And we are leadership roles at our church, in our ministries, in our families, in our communities. And, and Paul says, Timothy, I want, you to be, I want you to be a vessel that is set apart, that is pure, that is, that is sanctified. Remember, it, a vessel is, 
its intrinsic value is its usage, right? Its intrinsic value is its usage, what it's used for. And, and Paul says, Paul says here, Timothy, as an elder pastor and in general leadership, it's a metaphor. You are to be used. You must be clean, not perfect. Because we have other, we have another metaphor Paul uses where he says, we have this treasure in what? Huh? Earthen vessels, jars of clay. It's another metaphor. Don't overthink them. But he also makes that point that, you know what, we have, if you consider the Holy Spirit, this treasure of God, the Holy Spirit, and you consider where he's put it, right, what do we have? We have a, we have a vessel that, is, that, is, that is, a, is, a, is a very common part and maybe cracked even. And so we have these metaphors. We have these examples here. But Paul says, listen, you, we want you to be, Timothy, be clean. Turn away from wickedness. You'll be prepared for every good work. Now, how does, this, how does this work itself out? Well, the next verse, notice what he says here. Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue. The wonderful thing about the scriptures, the scriptures tell us over and over again, it doesn't, it doesn't just tell us what not to do. It tells us what to do. Remember, Paul says, take off the garments of sin. Put on the garments of righteousness. I wasn't going to wear it. It got a little warm up here. I wasn't sure if I wore some white coat, but the Julio told me I looked really good in, in black corduroy today. So, Julio, I'm wearing this coat, okay? Because you thought I looked good in it. You know, put on. Take off. Put on. We all know that. When in, in dealing with habits in our lives, it's one thing to try and put it aside, but what do you replace it with? Flee from. This is a strong word. This is a strong word. Run away from. Turn and run. But in turning and running, don't just run aimlessly. Instead, run toward a goal. Pursue something. Now, you notice what he says to flee here? The evil desires of youth. Now, I want to make a comment here. Because right away, our mind might go to this scriptural phrase we also hear, the, the, the passions, the evil passions of the flesh. And right away we, we might think in terms of a young person who, who, is, who is really tempted into the party and maybe sexual sin, maybe overindulging in things. Yes, that's true. But young people don't have a corner on that stuff. And in fact, in the biblical world, Really, there were kind of two categories. Once you, they really were not, they didn't think in terms of adolescence like we do. You know, we talk about youth. We talk about our junior high, senior high youth groups, early college and so on. In the biblical world, the, the categories were really older men and the other men. So don't, when he says of youth, you know, Timothy may have been in his 30s to 40s. He, he's not a teenager. He, he's, a, he's a man. But Paul says, Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth. Yes, those things, those passions of youth. But like I say, youth don't have a corner on those things, as we all know too well. What, what might his, in this context, what might he specifically be thinking of when he says, Timothy, run away from these evil desires, these passions of youth? What might it be? What is our context? You know, when you're reading the, the scriptures, context is very important, just like in real estate, right? Location, location. Context is very important. The context of what we've just been studying for the last week and this week and this context has to do 
with heresy and false teaching. I mean, it's destroying the faith of people. It's dividing the church. It's causing damage. It's wrecking lives. It's this heresy and false. The resurrection's already taken place. That's just one of them. We talk about the Ephesian heresy that Timothy's dealing with, and Bible scholars try to understand. You hear about Gnosticism, and you hear about this, and so it's a it's a multi variety, like just like it would be today, multifaceted. But this false teaching, this heresy, is destroying and causing damage. Church people are leaving. Lights are going out. You know. And, and, and around the world, in the Christian church, it's a difficult time. And it's in this context that Paul says, flee the evil desires of youth. I want to suggest to you, one of the characteristics of older men and women, right, who have lived a long time, one of their characteristics should be the ability to really find that balance, to say, yes, I understand. I look back over my life, and there were things that I was really passionate about that maybe didn't make any difference. I mean, I've, I've talked with pastors, you know, pastors who have, you know, who, who, who have really focused in on some battle in their life, and then they get toward the end and say, you know what, that, that was the wrong battle, that was the wrong hill to die on. You know what I'm saying? As we grow and mature, Part of being older should be have that, that, that wisdom and that, and that balance in our lives. And sometimes when we're younger, we get very passionate about things. And we can become very argumentative. We can become very combative. You know, one of the commentators made the point, heresy is oftentimes 10% error and 90% stubbornness. 10% error and 90% stubbornness. There is some truth to that. And so what I, I want to suggest to you, well, yes, the, the passions of the flesh, and, and that is certainly dealt with in the Bible. There's no doubt about that. But in this particular case, I think he's asking Timothy, Timothy, don't become one of those who are so argumentative, who are so combative, who are so right all the time. That you, that you, that you begin to destroy people's faith. And we'll see this, but instead, look what you are to pursue. Righteousness. Pursue righteousness. Pursue living a life that evidences God's word, that, that, is, that is good. Be righteous. Have a life of faith. He says, pursue this. Timothy, the, the man of God, the servant of the Lord, flee those evil desires, but instead, pursue righteousness, faith, love, Agape love, a very unique word that was adapted by the it was it existed in the Greek world, but the Christians really, the, the Bible really adapted it. It became almost a uniquely Christian word in a lot of ways. This love of God that is that, that, that loves without regard to response. I don't love because you love me. I love because I love you. And Paul says, this is what you're supposed to be, Timothy. And then finally, shalom. Peace. Let's bring peace to what's going on, Timothy. Timothy, be a person. Show that maturity for your age. Act like someone who's lived a lot longer and hopefully has come to the point where they begin to put these things in perspective, or they should have anyway, that what really matters is righteousness. Be good. It's so simple. Be good. 
truly have faith, trust God that he really does care about. He knows those who are his. Love. Love without respect to what you get in return. Love because you are called to love. God chose to love you and to love me. That goes all the way back to Moses, Deuteronomy. God did not choose to set his love upon you because, Israel, you were so great or so many. No, he chose to love you. He made a conscious choice. And strive for shalom, for peace, for health and wholeness. Run away from that, Timothy. And I think in this context, run away from this divisiveness, these quarrels, these arguments of having to be right about everything that's not essential, teaching things that aren't true, but instead... Run toward this, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. This is what you are to do, Timothy. Timothy, flee the evil desires of youth. Flee those things. And instead, pursue these things instead. Now, I want you to notice this, this, this next. Here's how it works itself out. What does this mean? What are you to do? This is amazing. This is an amazing passage of Scripture to me. I mean, boy, if, 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 if it were me and I was in Paul's shoes, I might be a lot more combative about this. This is serious. He's going to leave. Uh, Paul has sacrificed, has given his life to, to, to helping plant and nurture churches. It's a burden on his heart. He has a burden for his own people. He says in, in Romans 9, I have this constant sorrow in my heart for my own people that would come to Christ, his fellow Jews. He prays daily. We read his, his epistles are just bathed in prayer. I'm praying for you daily. I remember you constantly in my prayers. But look what he says. He comes to the end here. Look what he says to Timothy in verse 23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. You see what I'm talking about? He says, he says, flee the passions of youth, Timothy. Avoid foolish and stupid arguments. We all know what that means. I mean, how many times have you been in an argument and after you thought, boy, that was dumb. Did I, was that really such a big deal? Well, come on, oftentimes people you live closest with, right? Your spouse, your kids. I mean, I can remember... Man, I remember when my, my first daughter was in junior high, you know, going into young people's age group. And I can remember one time getting upset because Sarah's music that she was listening to. And I went into her bedroom and I ripped off the walls the posters of New Kids on the Block. <laughs> I mean, that is dangerous stuff, right? <laughs> Meanwhile, down in my basement, the Rolling Stones... We'll stop right there. All right. <laughs> Frank Sinatra, Debussy. Come on, it's balanced. I mean, it was dumb. And I thought afterward, I mean, she, unfortunately, she doesn't remember that. I asked her not too long ago, I said, I don't really remember that. But I can remember thinking afterward, how stupid was that? Why did I get so worked up? Well, what, am, what am I thinking? I mean, but listen, in, in the context of our Christian community, friends. And when you're in the context of maybe at your workplace, in your neighborhood, or your school, where you may have brothers and sisters in the Lord that you have quite different views, like when I get together at the pastors in Shoreline, which you will this Thursday, we have different views on things. But when you present your testimony to your fellow workers in your workplace, do you really want to argue 
over certain things that maybe you could, you could discuss and have different opinions about? Is that what you want to portray to the world? Do we as a church family want to get sidetracked on, on, on things that are second-tier issues that are not essentials? Paul says, Timothy, flee from that passion. Avoid stu- foolish and stupid arguments. And we all know what they are. But what do you do instead? This is amazing to me. I think this should be, for any pastor, elder, leader, I think this should be engraved on a plaque and put in our, in our offices. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, verse 24, but instead, he must be kind to everyone. You mean to Hymenius and Philetus? The guys causing gangrene? Kind to everyone. Able to instruct, to teach. Not resentful. Those who oppose him, now look at this. How can Paul write this at this stage of the church life? In a stage of he's about to be executed. He's about to die. And people are getting away from him faster than than they can imagine. Look what he says. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. And they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. You see, as Paul got older and mature and wiser, he is not the combative Pharisee. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel, to this day, is considered the last of the greatest rabbinical teachers. And you remember it was Gamaliel who in the book of Acts, when they were persecuting the Christians and they they were upset and in a rage, and he said, wait a minute, guys, be careful. If this is of man, it will go away. But if it's of God, what? Huh? Huh? You can't stop it. Pretty wise advice from the old rabbi. Paul comes to the end of his life and says, Timothy, please, you're not here to, to die at every hero. You're not here to be combat. You got to stand for the truth. Stand for the truth. But in standing, do it in a way that is kind and gentle and leaves it to God that perhaps he will change their heart. Be steady. Stay true to the center. Be kind. I mean, it's like we're all, you know, one thing we're all learning right now, right? Wash your hands, right? I mean, how many times have we been told to wash our hands, you know? And we're all pretty conscious right now. Your parents ever told you, be good? Be nice? Paul's advice before he leaves this life, Timothy. Be kind, be gentle, stand firm, don't get caught up, don't get sidetracked with those passions of young people, young men of your age, but act like someone who's been around for a while. Trust me, this is what God wants us to do. I want to close with this. I, I got a comment, one of my commentaries, I don't like to read from commentaries because I know it can be boring to read, but let me just read this paragraph. This commentary by Anthony Robinson, or Robert Wall, Robert Wall, uh, Seattle Pacific University Bible professor, um, talked about the experience in Australia. 
and talked about the difference between an open set, an an open and a bounded or fenced congregation. He says, in Australia, in some farming communities, the farmers might build fences around their properties to keep their livestock in and the livestock of neighboring farmers out. This is a bounded set. This is a bounded mindset. But in rural communities where farms or ranches cover an enormous geographical area, fencing the property is out of the question. It's not possible. You can't fence that much property. We're talking the Australian outback here. In our home of Australia, ranches are so vast, the fences are superfluous. Under those conditions, a farmer has to sink a bore, a well. And there's precious water supply in the outback. And it is assumed that livestock, though they will stray, will never roam too far from the well, lest they die. This is the centered mindset. As long as there is supply of clean water, the livestock will remain close by. In many churches, the emphasis falls on the boundaries. Who's in, who's out. What matters is the well. And friends, as a church, as we look toward our next 55 years, now what's, this, what's this place going to look like? What's this community going to look like? What is it that is our center? What is it for your families, parents? What is the center, grandparents? What is that borehole? What is that well that will bring them back? What do we come back to? We come back to where we've already seen in this scriptures, the second Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember his revelation to us. The scripture. This is the Berean Bible Church. Remember Jesus Christ. Last week, uh, Brother Jim encouraged us to to ask God, to pray, to ask God. I want to add to that today, to to go to God's Word. Know what God, know it to do it. We are people who who are reminded to ask God. And we are people who know our relationship with God through His revelation. And we are a people who can together Love and and kindness, even gentleness, yes, and firmness. Stand for the truth of God's word and that be our well. If that's the case, we do not need to worry what to return to. That's our call, friends. That's your call for your family. Some of you are just starting your family. Make sure the water's in the well. And go to that well. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember his word. Remember his love. Live like someone who has lived a long time, even if you haven't. Seek God's guidance and wisdom as we share God's love in our world. Let's close our hymn with our final song. Thank you again for joining us today. And remember, uh, we will be cautious. We will be very reasonable the best we can as far as our services and what we do. We don't want anybody to be endangered. We also want to continue to serve the Lord however he leads us. So 
just pay attention. We'll keep it posted. And if any time anybody is not comfortable coming during the next week, perfectly, we understand, we all understand, we'll do this together. And uh, God will lead. Amen. Thank you, John. Faith, that was really good. I think I know that too. And, you know, my mother was full Welsh. I had a hard time sing, not singing, stay it upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed. But that was really good. Thank you so much. God bless you. God be with you. God keep you safe. As Gary said, uh, be a light, share God's love, and go with the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you again. Father, we thank you for your blessings, your love, your compassion. We leave this place rejoicing once again. First day of the week, Resurrection Sunday. We leave celebrating the victory of life over death, forgiveness over sin, and love that you have shed abroad in our hearts. In Christ our Savior's name, all God's people can share together. Amen. Amen.